Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Emma Kennedy. Welcome to Why. In each episode, we explore a scientific conundrum with the help of a field-leading expert. Domestic dogs have been living with humans for 15 to 30,000 years. And you'd think, in that time, we'd know everything there is to know about them. Wrong. There are so many weird things my dogs do. I have two multipoos. One's a brain box, the other has the IQ of a potato. But on a daily basis, they both display behaviours that have me baffled. Molly, the clever one, likes to cluck at me like a chicken until I follow her. But instead of showing me the things she might want, she hides under a chair as if I haven't seen where she's gone. I then have to maintain the facade by asking loudly, where has Molly gone? Give up, move to another room, and only then will she trot out to find me as if she's just pulled off the magic trick of the century. Pippin, the cotton-headed ninny-muggins, likes to dance and will spend most of her afternoons trying to get Molly to slowly pirouette on the sitting room rug while she stands with her front paws on Molly's shoulders. It's like Strictly Gone Padding. What are they up to? Of course, we can't deny some dogs are incredibly intelligent. Police dogs trained to find bombs. Assistance dogs undertake a myriad of complex tasks to keep their owners safe and in touch with the world. But the internet would have us believe that loads of humans have dogs totally sussed out. There are YouTube videos of dog owners whose pets press a sequence of buttons on a control panel to select sequences of words and therefore speak. For example, play, then mum. But is this real? Does a dog really know what it's asking for? Are animals truly able to communicate with us in this way? So today on Why, we're talking about the secret lives of pets and asking How does my dog's mind work? I think one thing that dogs have, and that again, I think is a result of domestication, is they have a huge motivation to look into our eyes, to establish eye contact and to keep that eye contact, which is not a trivial thing. Dr. Julianne Kaminsky is Associate Professor of Comparative Psychology and Director of the Dog Cognition Centre at Portsmouth University. 
this is not just phenomenal in the dog world. If you put it in the bigger picture of what can animals do, it also stands out in this regard. I think dogs are really, really good in making sense of our communication. to me that a dog's needs are pretty basic. It's feed me, play with me, cuddle me. And it feels like it's not much more than that. But are we underestimating a dog's needs? Are they more complex? I think if you summarise it like that, then yes, we would be underestimating them. I think we're just beginning to understand how much animals actually understand about the environment they're living in. And that includes dogs. So we're just beginning to understand how dogs actually see and understand the world that they live in. So in what way? Like, How do you research what's happening inside a dog's mind? So the way that we do it normally is we play little games with them. So what we really want to understand is whether dogs can solve problems flexibly. So what I mean by that is without any training. So we want to basically present the dogs with a problem that they haven't seen before. And then we are basically just observing how they solve that problem. And the decisions that they make while they're solving that problem will tell us something about the thought process that is basically behind the dog's behavior. What sort of problems do you give them? So I'm really interested in dogs' understanding of human communication and a very human gesture that we use all the time when we are communicating with each other is the pointing gestures, that when we are basically trying to show others something in the environment that we find interesting or that we want to share, uh, we point to it. And at the very beginning of my career, I realized that domestic dogs are actually really good in using that pointing gesture. And a very simple way of testing that is by basically putting two cups in front of your dog. One cup has a piece of food and the other one is empty. And your dog wouldn't know where the food is, but then you point to the one that has the food. And we then simply just record whether they use the pointing gesture to find the food or whether they are confused and go to the empty cup. And what we found is that they are really, really good in using human gestures in these kinds of situations. So I'm interested in this because I used to have a beagle and that beagle could smell a biscuit from a mile away. So I'm just wondering, what, how do you differentiate between a dog that has a more advanced you know, sense of smell, being able to smell the piece of food in the cup, as opposed to it's gone to that cup because a human has pointed at it? Yeah, I know that's a very good question. And the way we address this is in different ways. So one way to address it is to secretly hide food in both cups, but the sort of um, you're just pointing to one of them. That's very sneaky of you, Julian. That's very sneaky. <laughs> I know. But the other thing that we did is to actually see if dogs can use their sense of smell in this setting is to simply hide the food, like I explained before, but then you give no pointing gesture, so no social cue whatsoever. And interestingly, in those situations, dogs choose randomly, meaning if they have no social information to use, then they cannot find the food. And that tells us that they are not using 
their sense of smell or they can't smell the food that we're using. So essentially what you're doing, Julianne, is is you're trying to test whether dogs pick up on humans' social cues. Yeah, so that's one line of research that I'm really interested in is to see to what extent dogs understand our forms of communication. And of course, we are using words, so we talk verbally, but another form of communication that we use is visual, so gestural communication. And why this is so interesting, just to give you an idea of why we are so excited about this and that dogs are so good at this, is because our closest living relatives, chimpanzees, do not pick up on these social cues. So if you hide a grape or something that chimpanzees really like, in the same way as I just described before, and then you point to it, they just ignore that completely. That really does amaze me because I've always sort of been led to believe that when it comes to interactions with humans, that chimpanzees are absolutely right at the top of the the food chain, as as it were. But is there anything that, that you've discovered about dogs that has surprised you? Well, it is their ability to use our communication that is really, in some sense, surprising, but also driving my interest because we think that this is really a result of domestication. So we think that all these thousands of years of living together have basically led to dogs being selected to be so good at this. So we've basically, over time, created this creature that to some extent understands us in ways that we cannot see in any other animal. And this I find really interesting. So some years back, I worked with a border collie named Rico, and he was able to differentiate more than 200 objects by name. So he had uh, children's toys and dog toys, and all of these toys had a name, and he was able to differentiate them. So you could tell him, fetch the crocodile, fetch the pony fetched or whatever and he didn't make any mistakes i mean it was the first dog that was described to be able to do this but this is not just phenomenal in the dog world it is really like if you put it in the bigger picture of what can animals do it also sort of stands out in this regard so i think dogs are really really good in making sense of our communication So I spoke earlier about some YouTube videos, which I've seen, and I don't know if you have seen them as well, where dogs appear to be communicating quite extensively and sort of sharing quite complex needs, sometimes even emotions, through a series of of buttons that are on pads on the floor. And when the dog presses the button, it will say a different word, which will then tell its owner what it's trying to communicate. What do you make of those? No, of course, I've seen those videos. And I think from just watching them, of course, it looks really interesting. So, But from a scientific perspective or from this kind of animal dog cognition perspective, my question would be, how flexible is this? So what we are seeing is dogs pressing buttons, and they have obviously learned that each button is associated with a specific response or with something good that they might be getting out of this. Some buttons Mm. bring them food, other buttons bring them attention. Most of these buttons are good and they are basically associated with something good. So the example that I always use is 
is in some sense a bit of like a vending machine where you are pressing different buttons and one button brings you the chocolate and the other button brings you the bag of crisps. So in its essence, what we can see from those videos is dogs that have associated these different buttons with specific things. That's interesting. But the scientific question is that language. Because the claim that is being made is that the dog is communicating. Yeah, things like, ouch, stranger, mad, I'm feeling angry. Is that possible? To be honest, from these YouTube videos, I don't know. So so that's, that's something that one would have to systematically research. I think I just want to make it very clear, in some sense, what the difference is. So if we are saying that this is real communication or that the dogs are speaking, which is sort of the claim in some of these videos, we would have to run like a series of tests to kind of understand how flexible this is. What we know from watching these videos is simply that they have associated specific responses or specific outcomes with these different buttons, which is very similar to, in some sense, a pigeon pressing a dot on a screen and getting something in response. Dogs do seem to be more intuitive than humans, don't they? Or at least we're led to believe sort of dogs have intuition or animals in general have intuition. And even though they're unable to verbalise those communications or those intuitions, are, are they actually operating on a more connected plane? I think one thing that dogs have, and that again, I think is a result of domestication, is they have a huge motivation to look into our eyes, to establish eye contact and to keep that eye contact, which is not a trivial thing. Because if you would go out there in the wild and you would try and establish eye contact with a wolf or with any other wild animal, they would perceive it as a threat. So during domestication, something has changed. So first of all, we know that actually when dogs establish eye contact with us, they release a hormone which we call oxytocin. It's a hormone that is also called the bonding hormone. So it's kind of, um, it's released in, in social situations. And we know that in the dog-human interaction, dogs release that hormone when, when they look into human eyes. So, so looking into human eyes is something positive for dogs, which is a result of domestication. So there are a surprising number of studies on canine cognition, particularly in America. And some people have even trained dogs to lie still in an MRI. Why would they do that? I think that is a really great technological advancement in the field. They would do that because we then can really understand what's basically going on in the dog's brain while they are either watching a video or listening to certain sounds. So it's it's a way of measuring brain activity in the dog without invasively sort of doing anything to them. So I think that's a really, really great direction. So we've heard that it's possible for dogs to learn over 200 words, but I'm wondering if we're making mistakes in how we communicate with our dogs. Should we talk more dog or is it better if dogs try to talk more human? I think that dogs are adapted to be very sensitive to our communication 
And I think we don't even have to overdo it. And so in the, what I mean by that is they are adapted to what we are doing naturally. So I see a lot of these dog training things that are happening where, I don't know, clickers are being used or whatever. I think that all of that is not necessary. So dogs are very sensitive to our voice, to our tone of voice. So high-pitched voice gets their attention. Dogs are very sensitive to what we're doing with our bodies. So gestural communication, all these kinds of things. So if we just communicate to them naturally, they'll be fine. Are we in danger of anthropomorphizing our dogs? Like, you know, we, we do want them to be more human. So we're assigning them human tributes like, I'm sad, I need you, I love you, etc. No, totally. I think, especially in sort of Western societies, um, dogs have this very recent new position of being family members, which is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we must be aware or mindful of that we might potentially overwhelm them with that. So all our needs is suddenly need to, I don't know, comfort us. They need to be our emotional support animal, whatever. I think they still obviously have their own needs, which are different from ours and which we need to be mindful of. So, yes, I, I think we need to be mindful of that. Yes. Are there any common behaviours across species, things that are pretty much universal amongst domesticated animals that we're missing? I mean, I think the one thing that we just don't know enough about other animals. So the little research we have about cats, for example, shows that they attach to their humans very similarly to dogs. So dogs' attachment to humans is very strong, but the cat attachment to their human might be more subtle, but it is still there. So so like these kinds of basic things of forming a bond, trying to be in this social relationship and sort of have a positive relationship, Those that's quite common, I think. So amongst dogs, it's sort of generally accepted, isn't it, that there are cleverer breeds? No. Oh, no, it's just, that's not true. So there aren't differences between breeds because I always thought that it was widely accepted that, that collies are, you know, the more intelligent ones and that they can operate at a higher level than other dogs. But but that's that's not true. Well, I wouldn't say it's based on the kinds of science that, that we do. It's mainly based on dog breeders simply claiming that they are breeding the most intelligent breed. So, so what we are seeing from the from the kind of research that we are doing, like problem solving, all these kinds of things, we do not see any major breed differences. We do not see any breed standing out where I would be like, oh, that's clearly the most intelligent breed or whatever. So we see individual differences. So some some dogs are faster learners than others, but not necessarily on a breed level. So what we do see is, of course, some differences in, I don't know, some breeds are bred for working with humans other breeds are bred for being more individualistic or whatever and we might see systematic differences between those groups of breeds but to the claim that there is the smartest breed or whatever that is that's not supported by science no so so is it not impossible that a farmer could train a pug to do one man and his dog so I've just worked with a pug that knows more than 200 objects by name. Get out. Stop it. Really? A pug? Yes. Yes. You've scrambled my <laughs> brain. 
They are absolutely scrambled. So the one thing that we shouldn't forget is when we have, of course, a border collie is bred to work. So it's a high drive working breed. So they would, of course, have more motivation to do stuff. That doesn't necessarily mean they understand it better or they they can process the information faster. Just simply means, potentially, just simply means they have just a higher drive to work. Mm. And also you would then have as an owner a higher drive to actually do something with them because you have yeah. this um, hardworking working breed at home, so you'd need to do stuff. Mm. Whereas with a pug, you might be like, oh, it's on the sofa and it's happy. And you might not even think that you should also stimulated mentally to some extent. So we know that humans and dogs have a special relationship, but are there other species that have been recorded as having similarly mutually beneficial relationships? Like e.g. the one I can think of is the suckerfish that clings to whales. You know, they get a ride and a snack and the whale gets a good clean. Is that quite common in the animal world? So I guess the question is whether we can talk about the dog-human relationship as a result of what you just described as co-evolution. So the idea that two species basically evolve in line with each other. So, so one meets the other. So with humans and dogs, we wouldn't call that co-evolution because we have, as of yet, not found any evidence that the human evolution basically depends on dogs is in some sense a one-way street. So dogs have adapted to us. So we have, over time, shaped dogs into this creature that we have today and sort of made them our companion and made them useful for our work, etc. But so far, we think that this is a one-way street. So could other species be friends with other species? Like, e.g., I do know a dog that used to hang out with a duck. They were clearly friends, the dog and the duck. Yeah, no, of course you can. You can. There is clearly evidence of these relationships out there. Also in the wild, you see like sort of different species associating and um, or forming some kind of relationship, or you would call it friendship. Or, mm. But that is not the same as the domestication process, because the domestication process is a real selection towards something. So we yeah. have changed the anatomy of the dog. We have changed the physiology of the dog. So dogs are more stress resistant, for example. You couldn't keep a wolf in the house like we are keeping the dogs. So yeah, it can't work. Just shows that domestication is, a, is in some sense a special process. Have we domesticated other animals? Yes, we have. But the dog is the only large predator that we have domesticated to an extent that we allow them into our house. So we, we must not forget that. So we have a large predator that we have domesticated into a tame, cooperative species that can live with us. And there's no other species out there. Cats are predators, but they are tiny. They can't really harm us even though they think they can. But dogs are just different. So I think that's why this is a special relationship.
So through domestication, humans have changed the evolution and physiology of dogs who now like us, but don't love us. But don't worry, cats are still arseholes. That's all from us today on Why. Thank you to Dr. Julianne Kaminsky. Thank you. We'll be back with more scientific anomalies, conundrums and weird facts soon. And thank you to everyone who's already been spreading the news about the show. If you enjoyed this episode, do tell your friends. You can follow us on social media. Links in the show notes. Likes and shares really help to spread the word. I've been Emma Kennedy asking... Why? Why was written and presented by Emma Kennedy. The lead producer was Anne-Marie Luff, with additional production by Eliza Davis-Beard, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, and the managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. Artwork is by Jim Parrott, and our theme music is by DJ Food. Why is a Podmasters production. Thank mm-hmm. you.